Lord, this morning, as we come to you in this time of word, Lord, I pray that you will show us your glory. Lord, I pray that you will reveal your glory to us. And only one thing I ask for, Lord, show us your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to talk to you mainly about the presence of God, but I want to start off by talking about identity. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Who are you? Do you see a teacher looking back at you? Do you see a bus driver looking back at you? Do you see an accountant? Do you see the parents of your children looking back at you? Some people say, I know what's my identity. I did this questionnaire that said, my gifting is in evangelism, and so before God, my identity is an evangelist. What happens when you and I go up to heaven and we realize that everyone there is saved and they don't need evangelists? Do we lose our identity then? What happens when we go up to heaven and we realize our children are not there for us to parent? There are no students to teach, no buses to drive. Would we lose our identity then? Of course not. So our identity is not based on temporal things of this life. Identity is based on something eternal, which is our relationship with God. Have you ever wondered why God chose to reveal himself as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why didn't he just choose to reveal himself as a single entity? Wouldn't that be a lot simpler? The answer is because the Bible says that God is love. The nature of God is love. As your nature and mine is flesh and blood, God is love. But love must have a relationship for love to be expressed. It's, I cannot sit in the middle of the universe and say, I am love. And it's like, love who? Love what? There must be an object to love. There must be a relationship for love to be expressed. So because God's nature was love, even from the very beginning, there was already a relationship for that love to be expressed, which was within the Trinity. When God created man in the Garden of Eden, at that point in history, there were two circles of fellowship. There was the circle of fellowship between the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was happening in the spiritual realm. But God would also come down to earth to fellowship with men. And as he fellowship with Adam and Eve, he fellowship in the physical realm. As long as God was fellowshipping with men in the physical realm, they would know him as creator, they could know him as Lord, some of them even knew him as a friend. But the limit of God's relationship with men in the physical realm was that of a friend. Even when Jesus came, they recognized him as a teacher, Lord, and a friend. The limit of God's relationship with men in the physical realm is a friend. Do you know that when God created us, he created man and gave him a special gift that he did not give to any other in creation? He gave men the ability to host, to be a vessel to contain the Spirit of God. Plants cannot contain the Spirit of God. Animals cannot contain the Spirit of God. Not even angels can contain the Spirit of God. Only men, mere lowly mortal men, can contain the Spirit of God. But that potential to host the Spirit of God was not brought into fullness until Jesus came, died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. 
When Jesus died on the cross, two things happened. The first is that with his death, his blood washed away our sins. But with his resurrection and ascension, he gave something to the church called the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Everything was in the hands of Jesus, but the first thing, the very first thing out of everything that he took to give the church was the Holy Spirit. He wanted to do this before, and he spoke fondly of the Holy Spirit even before the cross, but he could not release it because there was a price that had to be paid for us to receive the Holy Spirit, which was paid on the cross. And so after he ascended, the first thing he gave us was the Holy Spirit. Where, why was he so eager to give us the Holy Spirit? It's because what he wanted most of all was to take us from that fellowship in the physical realm and pull us into fellowship on his realm, the spiritual realm. And now, with the Spirit in me, I'm able to fellowship with the Trinity. Fellowshipping in the spiritual realm is not only a different means of communication, it is a change in the status quo. It's a change in my relationship with God. Do you know that the Trinity, the fellowship of the Trinity is seen as family? God said of Jesus, this is my son whom I'm well pleased in. And Jesus said, ask of my father. Even within God himself, he referred to each as father and son. That's a family term. So the Trinity, when they were fellowshipping in the spiritual realm, they see them as a family. And when Jesus pulled us from the physical realm into the spiritual realm to fellowship with him, he essentially made us sons and daughters of the Most High God. He pulled us into the family of the Trinity. Imagine this, this is the great mystery of all history of all creation, that God would take a mere man and pull him into the family of the creator of heaven and earth. The Bible says this in Romans 8, 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. God is love. The more his love is being expressed, the more the glory of God is revealed. Everything about me in this fellowship in the spiritual realm. Everything about me having a fellowship with God in the spiritual realm declares his love for me. The fact that I was a sinner, I have done so many wrong things, but I can still run into the presence of a holy God declares of his love for me. The fact that I was lost and he took me as an orphan and adopted me as his son, that screams of God's love for me. The fact that man was made from dust, but he took pathetic little man and made him into a glorious son of the creator of the world is God's love for me. Every soul that is saved and comes into the awareness that I am a son of God lives to the glory of God. The more I added to this family, the greater the glory of God. If I realize this, then I realize that if I see myself as a friend of God and only a friend of God, without meaning to, I have limited the glory of God. The glory of God is not just the washing of sins of a sinner. The glory of God is that he took pathetic little man and made him into a son of the most high God. My identity is not a friend or a servant of God. My identity is a son and a daughter of the most high God.
that was warm up. That's just the introduction. <laughs> now we're gonna go into the main message, which is the presence of God. My son, if he walks in the room, everybody knows that he's my son. There's something about my son that declares to the whole world he is my son. It's not just the fact that he's got the same color hair and same color eyes. Something about my son will tell the whole world that he is my son. In the same way, if I am a son of God, there must be something in me, about me, that declares to the whole world and to the spiritual principalities that I am a son of God. The evidence in me that I am a son of God is the presence of God in my life. In the Old Testament, God's people were the Israelites, and the Israelites had many enemies. Nations were against them. But the enemies of God were not afraid of the Israelites because the Israelites numbered much less than them. They were afraid of the presence of God with the Israelites. And the presence of God was contained over this article called the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant went with the presence of God, God's people would have victory and the enemies would be defeated. I want to quickly run through the Bible and show you some verses of the benefits that the presence of God brought to God's people. The first is he brings instruction and his voice. There, above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. His presence gives us direction and rest. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The presence brings miracles. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. The presence destroys the enemies. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His, hand, his head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. It brings blessings. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. When you read the Bible about the presence of God, you get this sense that the presence of God is like the boss presence. He just does whatever he wants, and he doesn't give any regard to anything else. He doesn't, you can bring him from one nation to the other, he doesn't obey the nation's law. You can bring him from one place of sacrifice to a temple, a, a pagan temple, and he doesn't obey the spiritual laws. He doesn't obey any laws. Wherever the presence of God is, God will do whatever he wants. Wherever the presence of God is, the kingdom of God will manifest. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where the rule of the king, the will of the king is imposed and enforced. Nothing can defeat that. And wherever the presence of God went, the kingdom of God would just do its own thing irregardless of whatever was happening around him. If I am in sin, if I have an addiction to sin that I cannot break, there is the law of sin over my life which is real and I cannot overcome it. But when I come into the presence of God, I become aware of a higher law, a higher power that disregards that law of sin and brings me into life in Christ. If I drop something, it falls to the ground because in this world there is something called the law of gravity. 
but yet heavy objects like aeroplanes can fly in the sky because the law of aerodynamics is greater than the law of gravity. In the same way, the laws of the kingdom of God are greater than the laws of this world. It's not that the world doesn't have laws. The, world, the laws of the world that we observe are real, but the kingdom of God trumps all of that. In all my reading, the man who taught the best on this truth was a man by the name of John G. Lake. Now, before I go any further, I just want to explain John G. Lake is the English name John, alphabet G, and Lake. The last time I mentioned him, I think people went and Googled Zhong Ji Lake. <laughs> I'm sorry, my Chinese tongue, you know, it just makes everything sound Mandarin. But it's John Lake with a G. Now, John G. Lake didn't write a book called Sons of God, but every book he wrote, if you read his books, he brought to awareness this identity that I am a son of God, and because of that, I have the power of Christ, I have the ministry of Christ, and I have the life of Christ in me, the dominion life of Christ in me. No one taught better than him on this topic. I want to bring you an one testimony from the life of this amazing man of God so that you and I can catch a glimpse of what the fullness of life looks like when we have the presence of God in us. One time, John G. Lake was living in Africa and a plague broke out, it was the bubonic plague. It was such a terrible plague that people were dropping dead on the streets. And in those days, even if you paid someone thousands of dollars, they would not go out to bury the dead because whether you had protective equipment or not, you step out of your door, you are dead. It was that bad. The only person who didn't care was John G. Lake. He went around sharing the gospel. And the authorities of the country were amazed. And so they went to him and asked him, how is it you are not affected by the plague? And he said to them, do you see that dead body there? Go and take the foam from the lungs of the dead body and put it under the microscope you will see that the germs are very much alive. And they did that and they saw it was true. The germs of the plague were so resilient that even in a dead body, the germs were thriving. Now John G. Lake said, put the germs on my hands and put my hands under the microscope. And they did that and the very resilient germs, instead of spreading and making him sick, instantly died when he came to contact with his hands. And they said, how is this possible? And he said to them, this is the law of the spirit of life of Christ in me. And they must have given him a blank look because he continued explaining. He says, when a man's spirit and a man's body is full of the presence of God, that presence will even ooze out from the pores of my skin to kill any germs coming in contact with it. Where the presence of God is, the kingdom of God will manifest. Supernatural things can happen because God's law, the kingdom, the presence, trumps every natural law of the world. In the Bible, there was one man in the Old Testament who loved the presence of God more than any other in his generation. His name was Joshua, son of Nun. Come with me to Exodus chapter 33. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. So remember last week I was talking to you about the secret place. The tent of the meeting was the Old Testament physical equivalent. When someone wanted to meet God, they would run to the tent of meeting. 
Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Out of hundreds of thousands of Israelites, one, one, Joshua, chose to abide in the presence of God. Day and night, he would stay in the presence of God in the tent of meeting, and he wouldn't leave it because he loved the presence of God. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, which means that for at least 40 years, Joshua, son of Nun, would abide in the presence of God with nothing to show for it. He was still a servant, he wasn't a leader, he wasn't doing miracles, he abided in the presence of God with nothing to show for it, he did it because he loved the presence of God. And when Moses' time was up, God told him, I want you to appoint Joshua son of Nun to take over you because the spirit of the Lord is in him. Which means that Joshua, by abiding in the tent where the presence of God was, at some point that presence came into him and he brought it wherever he went. God didn't ask Moses to appoint another leader to take over him. He appointed Joshua because Joshua loved the presence of God. Perhaps because he was a servant, Joshua was afraid when he had to lead the people. He was afraid they wouldn't follow him. And God said to him, be bold and courageous for I am with you. Why was God with him? Because he had been with God for 40 years. And God used Joshua from the word go to do mighty miracles. He parted the river Jordan. He brought down the walls of Jericho in a miraculous manner. And God even used Joshua to stop the sun for an entire day. Imagine this, Moses parted the sea. That, that, that's pretty huge. That's the biggest kind of miracles you can get on the face of this earth. But God used Joshua to stop the entire solar system for 24 hours. That is manifestation on another level. How, did, how was God able to use Joshua so powerfully? Because he abided in the presence of God. The presence of God can grow in our lives. I'll, tell, I'll show you a funny story. When I found the secret place, my relationship with God went super close and I was, the next time I had to preach and lead a service, I was so excited. I thought that God was gonna show up like Reinhard Bonnke or Billy Graham level of presence, you know? So the next time I, I, I preached and I gave the altar call, God showed up more than in any of my meetings. But after that, when Auntie Ruth came to look for me in the back room, she found me bawling my eyes out. I was crying. I was so disappointed because I genuinely expected like a Billy Graham level of presence. And a few days later, God spoke to me and he said, you wanted a manifest full kingdom of God, but what I gave you was a seed. He says, actually, what I gave all my sons and daughters was a seed but the ones that inspired you were the ones who cultivated that seed. And then, night and day, without them knowing, the kingdom of God grew and grew in their lives. This brings me to my last point, which is that the presence can grow. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 5 to 11, and this is the passage that described what happened when King Solomon brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple for the very first time, the new temple that he had built for God. 
King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered around him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priest then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. The poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. And they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Before I unpack this passage, very quickly, let me talk to you about the Ark of the Covenant. Most of you know this, but the Ark of the Covenant is essentially a wooden box with a golden lid. That wooden box was made of acacia wood. What's so special about acacia wood? Nothing. Some people say acacia wood was very durable, but there were other woods that were more durable, and if durability was the selection criteria, they would have chosen another wood. Acacia wood just happened to be the most common wood that was easily found in those days, and acacia wood was what was used. There is nothing special about acacia wood. You and I are that wooden box. There is nothing special about us, so we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. Now, in that wooden box that was not so special, there were three items. There was the stone tablets with the law, which represented walking right with God. There was Aaron's rod, which signified the anointing of God. And there was manna, which signified the providence of God. But here in this passage, when you see that before the new level of presence was released upon God's people, before the new level of presence was released over the whole temple, inside the ark, there was only the two stone tablets. The anointing, or the item that represented anointing and providence, was removed. If we want a new level of God's presence in our lives, we must be willing to let go of the old anointing and the old ways of walking with God. Sometimes as we walk with God, we stumble into an anointing and we learn to operate in that anointing. And sometimes because we have learned to operate in that anointing, we are unwilling to let go of that way of operating. But if we want a new level of presence of God in our lives, we must be willing to let go of old ways so that God can do a new thing in our midst. And with the new level of presence, there will be a new anointing and a new way of God that He will show us. Now let's come to the lid, that golden lid. That's where all business with God happened. It was a golden lid, two cherubims, and in the middle was the mercy seat. That was where the blood sacrifices would be poured out before God. And the presence of God hovered over where the blood sacrifices were placed. The presence of God, which is the Spirit of God, will never hover over you and me because of our sinful nature. It only comes upon us because of the ministry of the blood. If we want the presence of God, we must come under the ministry of the blood of Jesus. Now picture this, the Ark of the Covenant is about 1.3 meters long. It's not very big, it's about this big, and the presence of God hovered over it, and it was limited at most to 1.3 meters big. And in an instant, catch this, right? In an instant, the whole presence just exploded and filled the whole temple, which is bigger than this auditorium. Just like that, and it wasn't just the volume that expanded, the quality of the presence was so heavy that the priests were unable to continue ministering. 
The first time that God showed me this passage was when my family was under spiritual attack and I was praying to God for breakthrough. And God said to me, just as you are aware that my presence is over you as an individual and you believe that the enemy cannot attack you, you have that assurance, you must now have the awareness that my presence can cover your wife, your children, and everything that is under you. And I said, Lord, how do I get this increased awareness, this increased presence in my life? And he brought me to verse five where he says, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. He said, a greater sacrifice is needed for a greater level of presence. And that night, God dealt with me an issue to surrender to Him. I was so surprised because it was a good thing in my life and it was a precious thing. I never thought God would ask that of me. But once I surrendered it to God, there was an awareness that came into me. There's no other word to describe it. It was an awareness that the presence of God that covered me now covered my wife and my children. Before that, I had always been anxious for my children. I think when they grew up in Australia, there's so many things that can go wrong. They can go, fall into bad company. They can use drugs. There was an anxiety over the lives of my children. But when this awareness came in, it flushed out that anxiety. Anxiety disappeared, and there was only joy of Lord over my children. I wanted to end by sharing with you a testimony of a wonderful man of God called Andres Pisoni. He's a revivalist that God is using all over the world today. When Andres Pisoni was a young man, he went to Argentina for an exchange program, and he found himself in the middle of a revival. Even the young people were casting out demons and doing signs and miracles, and he asked everyone, what is going on here? And everyone gave him the same two words, Holy Spirit. And so Andres Pisoni became intensely hungry for an encounter with God. Have you ever been at a place where God has made you hungry for an encounter with Him? I have been there many times, and Andres Pisoni was hungry for an encounter with God, one that would change his life and change the lives of many, many people. He went for every church meeting that he could, and in the revival, there are a lot of church meetings, and every church meeting, he would be the first one up at the altar for the altar call. He was hoping for an encounter, but you know what? Nothing happened. This is a revival. People are getting visions. People are speaking in tongues. People are falling left, right, center. He would be the only one up there, nothing happening to him. This happened not just for days, not just for weeks, but for months. For months, he kept going up first at every altar call. Nothing happened. One time after a youth camp, he was uh, on the bus journey back to the city, and there was a young man next to him, and so he shared with the young man what was happening, and the young man offered to pray for him. So he said, yeah, sure, why not? As the young man prayed for him, the presence of God fell on the bus, everybody started speaking in tongues at the same time, and just only fell on the floor, had his encounter with God, the long-awaited encounter with God, and he points that moment as the pivotal moment that changed his life. He developed a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and from that on, his whole life course trajectory just changed. And today, God is using him as a revivalist. Years later, in an interview, someone asked him, why is it sometimes in a meeting, some people fall and some people don't fall? And his answer was, I don't know. But he says, if God puts in your heart a desire to encounter him, don't give up. He says, now I know that the difference between me and many others is that I never gave up. One man's hunger for God was so great 
that he brought the presence of God down onto a bus as a young man. Years later now, the presence of God has grown in him so mightily that entire stadiums, when he preaches, entire stadiums encounter God with the presence of God. How wonderful. I asked God this morning, I said, Lord, what is the ministry burden? What do you want me to minister this week? And he said, presence and encounter. He said, I have put in the hearts of my people a desire for an encounter with me that they have not had before. So I said, Lord, presence and encounter, that's pretty much like what we did last week with the fire and encounter. And he says, yes, I love it when my people love my presence. This morning as we worship, I'm gonna invite you up. And as you come up, we're gonna pray to God for the presence to come upon people but more specifically for encounters with God as His presence comes. Last week, during the second service, we were ministering to people after the service and um, I could see that people were encountering God. You know, some were laughing and some were crying, some were on the floor. I looked at their faces and they were having such an intimate encounter with God. I said to God, God, I feel they're having a better time than me. And I'm also hungry, God. I want more of you as well. And God said, go and ask Auntie Ruth to pray for you. So I asked Auntie Ruth to pray for me. I don't think she even finished the first sentence. Boom, I was down on the floor under the presence and I stayed down on the floor for the rest of the service. You know, sometimes God will put the preacher on the floor so that we are all aware that it's the Holy Spirit that is ministering, not the man. And sometimes God will challenge the minister to stop ministering and go and get ministered to because He wants to see if that person values intimacy over service. This morning, many of you have duties after this. You have to go out and you have to do certain duties for the service. The challenge for this morning is that if you feel God calling you, a call of intimacy, He's drawing you to come and have an encounter with Him. You have been hungry for an encounter with God. Then I want you to drop everything and just come to the front for ministry. Don't worry about your role and what you're supposed to do. If God is calling you, He will sort that out. The only question you need to ask yourself today is, is God calling me for an encounter? Is God calling me for more of His presence in my life? And if you are hungry for that, then drop everything and come to the front for ministry. Church, stand with me. As we worship, if you want more, then come and we will pray and minister.